All right, have you, if you have your Bibles, turn with us to Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. And uh, I'm going to probably start preaching through verse 17 on down, but for the sake of time, we're going to read verse 30, 31, and 32 this morning. Let's all stand, if you will, for the reading and reverence of the Word of God. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter number 4, verse number 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You can be seated this morning. Heavenly Father, we ask now that you'd take our lips of clay, and I pray, Lord, you'd guard them. I pray, Lord, that you would stop our stammering tongue. I beg of you to give us clarity of thought and speech this morning. Help us to rightly divide the word of truth. And, Lord, we'll thank you and praise you. Give you all of the glory, all of the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Put a holy hush upon your people. Give them ears to hear what thus saith the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now if you will, let's back up here to verse number 17 and work our way down through the chapter. I feel like what we'll do this morning will just be try to work line by line, get down to the thought that the Lord has placed on our heart. Probably won't be moving a lot of places this morning. Probably be in a little different gear maybe than what we're used to for Sunday morning, but that'll be all right. This is what the Lord's laid on our heart, and I want to be very clear. We've got some new born-again believers in our midst this morning, and I feel it'd be a good thing to, to go through these verses of Scripture, not just for the sake of new converts, but I believe it'll help some of us that's been saved for a little while. All right, so let's take a look here at Ephesians chapter number 4, starting verse number 17. The Bible says this, I say, therefore... And testify in the Lord that ye henceforth, that's from this time forward, walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Now what are other Gentiles? Simply put, what's being stated here in the context of this scripture is uh, for the Gentiles that have been saved by the grace of God are not to walk from that time they got saved forward as those Gentiles walked without Christ, okay? So this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. In other words, in their empty perception of life. You know, there's a lot of folk today walking around on this earth unsaved, never been born again by the good grace of God, don't know Christ and the free pardon of sin, never called upon that name which is above every name uh, in salvation, that of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And their perception of life is, is totally skewed in regards and in contrast to that of the Scripture. Uh, we understand and you understand, and it's not a new concept this morning, that this life is but a vapor. It's here for a little while and then it vanisheth away. Uh, what few years I've lived on God's earth, I look back and I don't know, Brother Gene, where the time has gone. I recall uh, times in my life when I was the age of my children that they are now and, and thoughts and, and, and things that I can go back and it seems as if 
Those times were just yesterday. Now that's probably not a concept that's easily understood if you're very young, but you get some age on you and live a few years and you'll begin to realize that this life, no doubt, is passing by very, very quickly. And uh, we, we see a folk and a, and a people today that are longing to have something they have a void in their life, Brother Gene, that they want to try to fill, and they, they try to fill it with the pleasures of this world uh, because they, they have need of something. There is a, they're actually comfortless. They're seeking something that there's a void in their life that they want to fulfill, and they look to fulfill it into the pleasures of this world to gain more and have more and to do things that bring pleasure. And can I say to you, there is pleasure uh, in this world. Say, preacher, how could you say something like that? Because the Bible teaches us that there's pleasure in sin for a season. Even in sin and things that are not of God, you can find something that will fulfill the lust of the flesh but for a short time. But it does not fulfill the void that one has as, a, as an individual or as a human being. Why? Because God did not make man separated from God. When Adam and Eve were put in the garden, they were not separated from God. There was a thou shalt not that was given to them. And they disobeyed the command of the Lord. And because they disobeyed the command of the Lord, separation was put between them and God. You and I are not designed to live a life separated from our Creator. And because there's separation between a lost individual and the Creator today, there is a void that cannot be filled by anything other than that of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Lord, essentially completes us in who we are. Okay? And so I want you to understand here this, uh, this empty perception of life. Some people go through life and they don't really ever stop to ask themselves the question, what are they here for? What is their purpose in life? Some people get to the place where they don't feel like they have a purpose in life. Some people feel like this, this world would be better off without them here. And they go into a state of depression. And the next thing you know, they're thinking about doing something that they should not do and removing themselves from this world in which we live in because of depression. You know why? Because there's an emptiness and something inside that needs to be fulfilled. And even being saved by the grace of God, people get that way because they, because of their sin or because of their negligence to get into the Word of God or to fellowship and commune with the Holy Spirit, there's a separation that causes one to be in a state of depression when one actually stops and asks themselves the question what am I here for what is my purpose? We realize that our purpose was not to have the finest boat or the finest house or the finest car or the finest of anything. For the things that mankind is seeking today, just 150 years ago, they didn't have that then. Some people weren't looking for a brand new car. Some people weren't looking for a brand new truck. Maybe they was, maybe they was wanting a brand new wagon and a team of horses. I don't know. I don't know what, there's always been lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. There's always been a longing for things, and people think that things are going to bring them pleasure, but it's been my experience that when you get those things, it's a short-lived pleasure, and then you're off to the next thing. And people are racing off to the next thing today, realizing that they have an empty perception of life. And so the Bible says here, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. There's folk that's lost and dying on their way to hell this morning that has a, un, not, they do not have the proper perception 
of life. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated, that's separated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. Guess what? You and I, the Bible says you'll destroy the wisdom of the wise, right? We didn't have to get ignorant, we were born ignorant. We didn't have to learn to be ignorant. We were born that way. And the Bible says having the understanding darkened, being alienated or, or separated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Now, ignorant is absence or destitute of knowledge. All right? And uh, that's this, we understand you're having the understanding darkened because of the ignorance or the absence or destitution of knowledge. Because of something, because of the blindness of their heart. Now, blindness can have a few different definitions, but it all goes back to the same root. So let's look here. Blindness is dark or no light. So if one was born without the ability to see, I mean zero ability to see, there isn't even the ability to understand that of light. Right? One would be born into darkness never to have known light. And so who, we understand here that, that blindness is dark or no light, but also not having the faculty of discernment. Do you know what David said? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You and I do not know what light is apart from the Holy Scripture and the word of God. It's the illuminating factor that brings us the knowledge that you and I need, the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now with that knowledge comes action. One must first realize that they need to be saved, but then they have to receive Christ as their Savior to call upon Him and accept what He done as the free gift of salvation. But it says here, because of the blindness of their heart. Okay, so who being past feeling uh, have given themselves over to uh, under lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But then we, we see here the, the, the born-again believer says, But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now it says, wherefore, pay attention here, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So to lie to someone that's uh, a member of the same body you belong to would be to harm the body in which you belong to. And so we're dealing with this, this lying here. And then it says, be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. So I do want to say this. There's some things in the house of God that happens and transpires from time to time that would cause someone to be angry. And there's nothing wrong, Brother, Brother Gene, with getting angry because of sin or being angry because someone hurts someone else in the church. Or, but the Bible says, be angry and sin not. 
See, I want you to understand something. The, 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 the attitude of seeing someone hurt someone you love, I would feel kind of strange about someone that didn't have something rise up on the inside of them. If you hurt one of my children, you better understand I'm going to be angry. All right, now I'm going to have to lean real heavy on the sin not part, but I'm going to be angry. Man, you'd worry about me if I wasn't, right? And so there's things that go on and happen in God's house that can cause people uh, to get angry. The Bible says, be ye angry and sin not. It says here, uh, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Now we're fixing to find out why this is being told to God's people. Because something happens to an individual personally when these things begin to go unchecked. And that's what I want to deal with for a little while this morning if the Lord will help us. Be angry and sin not. So if I'm angry but I'm sinning not, I'm self-regulating. You need to understand that. I'm keeping myself in check. Now that doesn't mean I'm doing it of my own accord. I have to rely on the Holy Spirit and the Lord and His Word that I read to keep me in check, but I'm not out of control. All right, there's a difference in being angry and being in check and being angry and out of control. And one that's angry over something that's not right, and I didn't mean to go here, uh, when you get out of control, you've done as much damage as the one you was angry with. All right, so be angry and sin not, let, the sun, uh, let, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. In other words, Brother Gene, if you allow yourself to get unchecked, something gets loose from you. Don't allow the sun to go down upon your wrath. Get it fixed and get it straightened out. Don't move into a brand new day holding on to the same thing that was held on to this day because there's something that happens to an individual that is born again by the grace of God when these things are allowed to let go in their life. Neither give place to the devil. So I want to say this. It's very possible for one who's been saved by the grace of God to allow the devil to take charge of their life and take control of their life. Doesn't mean you're going to hell. Doesn't mean that you're lost. Doesn't mean that, that he took your salvation from you. But it means that the devil comes in because of your uh, being unchecked and allowing things to go for a period of time without getting them right. The devil creeps in and takes control. And the next thing you know, friend, you're in, you're, people are in bad trouble. But it says, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. So we're looking at things that the natural man has the natural ability to do. See, a man, a man that'll lie to you, Brother Gene, will steal from you. A man that'll steal from you will lie to you. These are all things that we come uh, born uh, with this flesh that apart from God, we have the ability to do things that we should not do. But once a person gets saved by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit moves on the inside and he regulates and helps us stay in check and the warning here that Paul is writing uh, to the church at Ephesus is do not as a born again believer fall back and act like one that was lost and undone. And so we're dealing with these things such as anger. These are just examples, lying and, and anger and neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. Now I do want to say this, if, if it wasn't possible for a born again believer to do these things, Paul would not have felt the need to warn the church at Ephesus about them. So one that's saved by the grace of God, who lets themselves get unchecked, will fall back into sin doing things that they've done before they got saved by the grace of God. 
They give place to the devil. But, uh, but the, the Bible says, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Now one, understanding, one that is alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. We understand this is a people that is empty. They have an empty perception of life, right? They're the ones that are wanting to have more to bring them pleasure. But one that's saved by the grace of God, that loves the Lord, that stays in check, they labor for a different cause. It says, working with his hands a thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. We're no longer working for the pleasures of this world. And listen, I, I said it a million times, there's nothing wrong with having things. God doesn't want things to have you. But I'll say this, at the same token, if God wanted you to give up something for the cause of Christ and you laid it on your heart, you'd be in sin not to. The idea is for things not to have a hold of us, right? And so uh, we find that the lost man is always seeking to have more for his personal pleasure and then trying to gain more. But a man that's saved by the grace of God or woman, boy, or girl saved by the grace of God, we're now working with our hands the thing which is good that, uh, that we may have to give to him that needeth. But it says this, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now it's interesting that as we're talking about the, the lost individual in contrast to one that's been saved. And the warning to those that uh, are, are saved by the grace of God not to fall back into a lifestyle that resembles one that is lost, we find that Paul warns the church at Ephesus about the communication of the mouth. Now that's important. Why is that important? Well, we understand that everything that your body does come first through your mind and you first had to think about it and out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, right? So it starts in your heart, it comes out of your mouth, and before you know it, you're acting upon the things in which you speak of. All right, and so we find here, it says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now, this is where I want to hone in at for just a minute to the, this morning. All of that being said, contrasting the lost individual or the lost Gentile, the lost individual to that of the, the Gentile here that's been saved by the grace of God, all of that being said and all the warning that's just been mentioned about not uh, falling back into a lifestyle that looks as if you represent one that's lost, but then it says here, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. I want you to know something this morning. All the things in which we just spoke of falling into your life, who is it that keeps us in check? See, it's our nature that would cause us to be angry. But it's not our nature to sin not. But it is the nature of the Holy Spirit to sin not. And so to be angry and sin not means that we would let the Lord in our anger keep us in check and keep us from doing something that we should not do. That by nature we would do, right? And so we relate, we're relying on the, on the Holy Spirit. But to go unchecked from the Holy Spirit and to go on and do the things in our nature that we know is wrong and against that of God causes the Holy Spirit to be grieved. Now when you and I grieve the person of the Holy Spirit, we are in a very dangerous place in our life. 
All right, now let's look here. It says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit. So I want to define this word grieve for just a moment. And and then we'll get through these last three verses here and we'll be done. But give me just a few minutes to try to break down a few words that I think are important in this verse concerning the context of what we're dealing with. Grieve, the definition is simply this, to give pain of mind to, to afflict, to wound the feelings, to inflict pain on, to make sorrowful, to offend, to displease, to provoke. Now to be grieved is to feel pain of mind or heart, to be in pain or account of, a, of an evil, to sorrow or to mourn. So if I grieve that of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit feels pain. And he feels pain on account of an evil, to sorrow, to mourn. Now I do want you to notice here, to give pain of mind to, to afflict, to wound the feelings. Have you ever had your feelings wounded? I mean, let's, you don't have to answer that out loud. Matter of fact, don't. But I'm saying think about it for a moment. And listen, some of us men, you know, in our masculinity and our pride would want to act like sometimes something is said to us really doesn't bother us, you know. We shake it off and go on. But the truth of the matter is it cut us deep, cut us real deep. And it bothers us. And we'll go off by ourselves somewhere like an old dog and lay down and lick our wounds and whine and cry in the corner by ourselves somewhere. But a, but a husband, maybe to a wife or to a child in haste or something, said something to one that you loved. But because you said something in haste or allowed your uh, mouth to overload your tail, so to speak, you hurt that person's feelings and deeply hurt them so that it grieved their heart. Now, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure those of you that are married this morning, you hurt your spouse's feeling real bad. There's probably going to be some separation. There's probably going to be somebody goes to one room and somebody goes to another and everybody's aggravated. Nobody wants to talk for a while and a little bit of time has to pass and let things kind of, you know, calm down and then you get it all worked back together again. Or you you continue to be unchecked and it just gets worse and worse. And then before you know it, you've let the sun go down on your wrath. That's just one example. Say, well, how can you be using that example with that of the Holy Spirit? Because as we've learned, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. And the person of the Holy Spirit dwells on the inside of a born-again believer. And because the Holy Spirit loves you and loves me, the Spirit of God in our heart loves you and loves me, when you and I let that anger, this example that Paul gave to the church at Ephesus, let that anger, and that anger rises up within us, the Holy Spirit whispers to us, Brother Gene, uh, to, not let that, to not let that wrath come out of us, to, not, to sin not. Be angry, but sin not. The Holy Spirit speaks to us and talks to us and deals with us just like he died when he showed us that we was a sinner in need of a Savior. Began to deal with us and show us the reality of a devil's hell and worry us in our spirit because we knew that hell was real. The same Holy Spirit that done that will come to you and talk to you and, and, and remind you and help you and show you that you're a child of God. You need not act upon your nature. But we are to rely upon the help of the Holy Spirit. And so the Bible says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit 
of God. The spirit that dwells on the inside of us is of God. You need to understand that, okay? Now, we talk about the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. We also talk about the Father. We talk about the Christ or the Son. But it's more than just the Father or the Christ or the Son or the Holy Spirit. There's a, there's a personality. What do you mean? Well, sure, we believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? The Trinity. Of course we do. We've been learning about that. But it's the Father God. The Christ Jesus. It's not just the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God which dwells in our heart. And so the Holy Spirit is not a voice of conscience. The Holy Spirit has a personality. He isn't something, He is someone. And so I don't know about you, but someone has the ability to have their feelings hurt. Someone has feelings Say, how do you know that the Holy Spirit has feelings? Because we understand for God so loved the world. Now, I'll be the first to tell you that it's not all about emotion. But I will say this, love being in action, you have that action, but there is some emotion involved. You let somebody you truly love pass away and die, they'll be mourning. Why? Because there's something on the inside in our emotional being that wells up and comes out. And I do want you to understand something, friend. The person of the Holy Spirit, I'm glad that God is committed to us. And I'm glad Christ is committed to us. And I'm glad the Holy Spirit is indeed committed to us. But that does not mean that I can go on and do anything I want to and not hurt his feelings. My wife's committed, at least I hope she is. She's been committed this long. And I'm committed to her. But I'll say this, that don't mean my wife doesn't have the ability to cut me deeply. And that don't mean that I don't have the ability to cut her deeply. As a matter of fact, friend, I could probably hurt my my wife a whole lot worse than you could. And my wife could hurt me in a manner that probably you'd have a hard time hurting me that deep. Why? Because we have a tighter bond than I would with most people. And the tighter the bond, the more it quickens and hurts when someone does something contrary to that one that you love. So let me say this, the Holy Spirit, the closer uh, fellowship that you gather and gain with that of the Holy Spirit, and the closer the fellowship you get with Christ Jesus through the person of the Holy Spirit, the offense is so much greater when you do something to offend a holy, righteous God, friend. Hurts the feelings of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says here in uh, John 14 and 26, but the comforter which is the Holy Ghost. Now isn't it interesting that the comforter, we understand that the Holy Spirit is that of the comforter. We've talked about how that, uh, that uh, when we're in need or we have trials in life, we pray the Holy Spirit uh, comforts us in our tribulation. On our trials, we understand that. We also learned that the Holy Spirit who came to reprove the world of sin showed us our sin because he's also a comforter. Didn't want us to die and go to hell. There's going to be comfort in the portals of glory. There'll be no comfort in the pits of hell. And so we understand the Holy Spirit came to reprove the world of sin and he's that comforter. But the comforter, understanding his, uh, his willingness and, and wanting to come and be that for us, also has feelings. And let me say this, it's easy 
as a spouse or even as a child, you kids listen to me this morning, to make this relationship one-sided. I know that's hard to swallow, and I'm having to swallow it the same as you are this morning, but there's times when I rely on my wife for things, but I'm not thinking about that she's relying on me for things. There, there, there becomes this over-familiarity and this expectation that she's going to do something for me because she always has it because I expect her to do it. But there's some expectations that she would have uh, as a spouse to me, right? And so we, we understand that it works that way with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. But we ought not hurt the Holy Spirit. We ought not hurt the person of the Holy Spirit. We ought not hurt the Spirit of God because of, of, of our nature. We ought to think of the Holy Spirit and, and, and listen, when we consider God having sent His Son to die for us on an old rugged cross that our sins might be pardoned, that we might be pardoned and have mercy because of what He done, how in the world could you and I hurt Him the way we do sometimes? I'll tell you why, because we don't think about it. You know, most of the time when we hurt our spouse or our children or our children hurt one of us or something is said off the cuff or a friend or love one of any kind, most time it's done, we're just shooting off at the mouth and we're not even thinking about it. Most of the time when you hurt somebody's feeling, you're not thinking about it. And I think a lot of times we hurt the person of the Holy Spirit because we're just not thinking about it. Now, we don't think about it because we don't purpose to make that a priority in our life just like a spouse or your children. Did you know a spouse and children are something that's to be prioritized? It's easy to get caught up in life and get carried on about responsibilities and things and realize that you're not putting any time into your relationships. And we do the same thing with the Holy Spirit. We just get used to Him being around and yet we don't, we don't, uh, we don't cultivate, if you will, that fellowship that we are to have with a person of the Holy Spirit. And so the Bible says in John 14, 26, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. All right, so here's what I want you to understand here. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, whom the Father will send in my name. Now Jesus Christ, we understand, ascended to the Father and he had to ascend to the Father before the Comforter would come, but the Comforter was sent of the Father. Now, who did the Father send the first time, Brother Shane? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. So Jesus come being sent of the Father. But when Jesus left the earth to be an intermediator and an intercessor and to sit at the right hand of the throne of God, God sent the Holy Spirit. God brought Jesus Christ up to heaven but he didn't leave us void. He sent the Comforter, the Spirit of God, to dwell on the inside of the born-again believer. Used to, when Jesus was on the earth, the disciples were the one that was closest to him. The others longed to be with him. We understand that he got on the ship, you know, and, and thrust out from the land because they were crowding upon him. They was, there was people that wanted to be close to him but couldn't be as close to him as the disciples. You can be as close to him this morning as you want to be because God loved you so much that when he brought Jesus from the earth back to heaven, he sent the Spirit of God and you can be as close to him as often as you want to be. And I thank the Lord for that. 
But when we grieve the Holy Spirit, something happens. When he is offended, he is offended as same as if one of our loved ones that has been cut deeply would go to another room and cry or shed a tear to get to, to, in private because of the pain which was inflicted on them. The Holy Spirit's that way. Oh yeah, did you know that Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit are very sensitive people? Very sensitive. All right, and so the Bible says, now they're not compromisers, but they're sensitive. All right, so the Bible says here, uh, oh, let me say this too before I move, move on. When we, when we drop this robe of flesh and our body goes into the ground, does the Bible not say to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord? So is it not true that I'm going to be with the Lord even though my body is in the ground? So my person will be with the Lord, but my shell will be in the ground. See, I am a person, and I have a personality, and I have feelings, and I have a body. But just because the Holy Spirit doesn't have a body doesn't mean he don't have a gender. Doesn't mean that he's not a person with a personality. Doesn't mean that he doesn't feel hurt and pain. I am hurt, but it doesn't hurt my body. You know those same sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Listen, my body may not be hurt from the pain you inflict, but boy, my, my spirit can be. You can destroy me. Why? Because of that tongue that we have that goes unbridled most of the time. Can hurt a person far deeper than the flesh sometimes. All right? And so it's a very serious thing. So you'll be living when your body's gone. And the Holy Spirit in spirit form is living today, and he has a personality. All right? And so Peter, the Bible said in Acts 2 and 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sin, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So we know when we got saved by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit moved on the inside. 1 Corinthians 6 says in verse 19 and 20, What? Question mark. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God. So the Holy Spirit was sent by God, but we have the Holy Spirit because of God. Right? All right, so, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. If you and I could just catch that one concept and really dwell on the fact that we have the Holy Spirit on the inside as a result of what Christ Jesus done at Calvary in the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we understood that and really dwelled on the fact of what was done for us to have that privilege, you and I would not be as uh, easily, to hurt the, easily hurting the feelings of the Holy Spirit. When you start pondering, Brother Gene, on what you have in your wife, and when your wife ponders what she has in you, it causes one to treat someone differently than they would if they were not conscious of that. When we become unconscious to the fact that Jesus Christ done what he done for us, we will hurt the person of the Holy Spirit. But we, when we consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, we will not hurt the person of the Holy Spirit unless you do it on purpose. And I would begin to wonder at that point what I really had going on in my life if I purposed to hurt the person of the Holy Spirit. All right, so the Bible here says, 
What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye uh, have of God. This is 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. And ye are not your own, for ye have bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We belong to him. You need to understand that. We belong to him, yet he gives us the liberty to hurt him when we ought not. He does not give us the license to do it, but he gives us the freedom to do it. You know why? Because when we can hurt him, but won't hurt him, because we love him for what he done for us, it brings far more glory and honor to his name than if he had to make us do what we do. All right, and so moving on here, the Bible says here, uh, well, let me, let me finish my definition of grieve. It says to feel pain of mind or heart, to be in pain uh, on account of an evil, to sorrow, to mourn. Well, if, if sorrow and mourning is part of grieving, let's look at these two definitions. Sorrow, the uneasiness or pain of mind which is produced by the loss of any good or of frustrated hopes of good or expected loss of happiness to be sad. Did you know you can make the Holy Spirit sad? You ever seen somebody that's sad? They mope. They're, they're not energetic. They're not, they're not jumping around and, and hyperactive. But they're saddened. Do you know there's a lot of churches today that look deader than four o'clock, twice dead and plucked up by the roots. Do you know why? Because the Holy Spirit is grieved. And the Holy Spirit is saddened. But when the Holy Spirit, listen, you ever hurt somebody's feelings and have to eat a humble pie and go back to them, listen to me now, hug them up tight, grab them by the cheeks, look them in the face, give them a little peck, tell them that you love them and that you're sorry and all the reasons why you've done wrong and watch how it changes the attitude. Listen, I can hurt my wife so bad and I can walk off and I can know it and I can hate it and I can kick myself and I have to crawl my way up the steps and go over and grab her by the cheeks, pull her by the ear and kiss her and tell her that I'm sorry and then she always wants to make sure she knows what I'm sorry about. So I tell her what I'm sorry about and you know I can walk away from that conversation and we'll be fine again. Fine, just like that. You know, there's some of us today that have grieved the Holy Spirit. And some of us today are in such a shambles in our life. And we feel like we're all alone. And we don't understand how we can be all alone because the Comforter is supposed to have come. The problem is not that the Comforter ever left. It's that we grieved the Holy Spirit. And if you and I could just come back to this altar and grab the Holy Spirit by the face, so to speak, and just give him a little peck on the cheek and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I know what you've done for me. I know how you care. And I've just not been treating you like I ought to. Do you know things would be better? Oh, the Holy Spirit wouldn't be saddened, Brother Gene. There'd be a pep in, the, in his step and he'd be excited to try to do something and help you on for the glory and for the honor of God. A lot of churches are in the shape they're in simply because they won't come back to that old mourner's bench. It's called a mourner's bench, friend, for a reason. The days of coming to the altar and mourning over your sin and telling God you're sorry for the way you've treated him, friend. 
or just about over, people won't do it no more. That's why we have such a state in our churches where it's twice dead and plucked up by the roots. Oh, friend, we could get Jesus in the middle of what we're doing again, friend, if we just tell him we're sorry and mean it and be open and honest about what's going on in our lives. But we understand to mourn is to express grief or sorrow. You know, when somebody is, is grieved or mourning, a lot of times they'll go hide because they don't want what's being they they don't want what's bothering them to be expressed in front of the one that hurt them. So they'll go off and do their crying somewhere else, or they'll go off somewhere and mourn somewhere else. But you understand that the Bible says here, "Grieve not the Holy Spirit," and to grieve is to sorrow, to mourn, to mourn, brother Gene, is to express grief or sorrow for the sorrow or the grief. To come out. And the person of the Holy Spirit is in such a state when you and I grieve Him that He has to express it. Can you imagine with me for just a moment? And the Bible said, Consider Him that endured such contradictions and sinners. Look, go with me for just a minute to a place called Mount Calvary where your Savior hung on an old rugged cross and gave Himself to bleed and to die and to be torn apart for your pardon and for your mercy. And then to know after all that was done and afforded us that you and I could do something that would grieve him so that not only would he sorrow, but he'd have to mourn and go somewhere and express outwardly the feelings and the pain in which we'd caused. How in the world? You know what I find? I find we hurt the ones we love the most. We really do. Sometimes we get such as if we expect or feel entitled. God help us never to have the attitude of entitlement. Oh, I'm glad I'm royalty. I'm glad I'm in the family of God. But I ought not get so that I'm entitled and, and act like I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I ought to remember where he brought me from and where I'm at today and what I could be and where I was at when he brought me out of the horrible pit in the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my going. So it's an expression of sorrow to utter in sorrowful manner to lament. And lament is grief or sorrow expressed in complaints or cries of weeping. I believe we hurt the Spirit so bad, Brother Gene, that the Holy Spirit has to go somewhere and cry. Imagine the pain, if you will. Imagine the, the suffering that Christ went through. And here we are causing more pain and more suffering. Why would he put up with us? Why in the world would God want anything to do with us? To bleed and to die for us and then for us to steal cause him such grief and pain. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves this morning, friend. If you're in such a state in your life where you're grieving the Holy Spirit because you've gone unchecked and you're allowing things in your life that are showing that you would have done those same things as a lost individual before you got saved, you need to be on the altar this morning, not because of me, not because of your spouse, not because of your children, not because of anybody here, but because there's a Holy Spirit that dwells on the inside, the person of God, who is grieved and mourning and weeping this morning because of the state of affairs that your life's in and the way you've treated Him. So I want to show you this and I'll be done. We'll finish the rest of this tonight maybe, okay? Let's move on quickly. I'll, I'll deal with these definitions uh, a little later. 
So let's look here. It says, uh, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed in the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be a kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So verse 31 and 32, Lord willing, I'll deal with them tonight. But I want you to notice this last part of verse 30. It says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed under the day of redemption. Why is that there in the context of what we're reading? Concerning our old man and our new man and hurting the feelings of the Holy Spirit. Why is that there? Because I want you to understand something quickly. The Bible says sealed under the day of redemption. It's proving and showing to us once again that you and I can't break his seal. When he saved us by his marvelous grace, he sealed us under the day of of redemption. And what happens is you cannot break his seal. Nothing you can do or I can do can get us to break the seal in which we were sealed into our salvation. But you cannot break his seal, but you can break his heart. Now I want you to notice that. After all that we are capable of doing, He does not turn on us and push us away. God don't go to us and push us away. Now the Bible says it's our iniquity that separated us from God, right? But that iniquity that separated us from God, we understand that some would say, well, God left us because of sin. But God made a way to bring us to Him through the the saving power of the blood that was shed. So it's not that God has a desire to push us away, but it's that God has a desire to be close to us. And he's got a desire to be close to us such as that that when Jesus was here and the disciples were the only ones that was really as close to him as they were, when he left, he brought the Holy Spirit and all of us now have the ability to be as close to him as we want to be. But we find sometimes that we're very far away. Why? Not because Jesus done this, Brother Gene. Not because God done this. Not because the Holy Spirit done this, but because you and I have done this. But when you ever consider the fact of what He's done for us, and that even though we treat Him like we treat Him, He's never run off and left us. I've treated some people, I've seen some people treat people in such a manner they just couldn't hang no more. I mean, be so mean to them and hateful and rude, they they just couldn't hang no more, Brother Shane. They they just had to leave. There was just separation. You know, all the times, Brother Shane, that I've pushed the Holy Spirit back in the corner, still sealed to the day of redemption. That's love, friend. Do you know why we love him? Because he first loved us. Do you know how you and I know what love is? Because he exemplifies it, not just by what he done at Calvary. See, we like to talk about the love as, as, as if it stopped at Calvary. God never stopped exemplifying his love. He is love. He is the very definition of love. 
And not only did he love, but when God took Jesus to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has stayed with us, Brother Shane, and he's convicted us and drew us and dealt with us in our sin. Why? Because he still loves us. I want you to know something. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, but for God so loved the world, he sent the Holy Spirit. And for God so loved the world, the Holy Spirit is still sticking around today. And all the times I've frustrated mercy and grace, I'm thankful that God's never left me and never forsaken me. But I sure have caused him a lot of hurt. And I sure have caused him a lot of pain. And this morning, friend, simply what you need to do if you're in that shape this morning is get down here on this altar, grab the Holy Spirit by the face, peck him on the cheek, tell him you're sorry, and I promise you, you can walk out of here this morning with a whole lot different state of affairs and a whole lot different state of mind than you did when you walked in. Let's all stand to our feet this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around as the pianist comes.